Well, today is one of those rare times when I try to engage with what's going on in the, the culture around us and in our daily lives. I am generally am not a storyteller or one who is great at necessarily um, finding all of the application that we might need in our lives. I tend to just go to scripture and let it speak to what I need to hear and hope it also connects with you. But today I very much felt compelled and and part of it was based upon our discussions. I meet with Jerry to to sort out things with him and help let him help me sort things out, ideas and thoughts and scriptures. And he helps me develop the lessons. So based upon what we had been talking about recently, I really felt compelled. I need to finally answer this question just in a vague way. We need to talk about the Christian and politics. Uh, it's, it's really, you know, politics has just become uh, such uh, an engaging part of our lives. It kind of engages us and we engage with it, it seems like. And I see, um, you know, a lot of people talking about Christian nationalism and Christians, this and that in, in relationship to politics. And it's, it, it was, um, it's been an interesting question for me to think, you know, how are Christians to be involved in politics? Should we be involved in politics? And if so, then how, and what is our guide? And so today is a very generic sort of sermon. Um, if you're, going to ask the question about how to engage with politics. I, I don't have, I don't give an answer for that today, but I will give you a little bit of what Christ wants from us and for us. So first of all, I just, I just want to acknowledge what we started with last week was that there was this mention in Malachi chapter four, verse number two, it mentioned Jesus being the son, it alluded to him, it didn't say Jesus's name, but it was talking about the Messiah that we know, and it was referencing him as the son of righteousness, and it, and it told us that that those who believe in him someday should, should go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. So in the, the mention of Jesus and the reference of the Messiah coming someday was going to be, he is the one who is going to set us free and heal us. He had healing in his wings. And when Jesus comes, it should make all people who believe in him go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. Jesus brings us peace. He brings us hope. He brings us joy. He gives us meaning in our lives. and by saying that he is those things, then we realize that everything else is not those things. Anything else that kind of we would give our lives to that would detract from who we are in Christ, um, that, is, that is just going to be, those are things of the devil and not of Christ. Of course, there are a lot of good things that we can that can become bad things if we give ourselves over to them too much. So let us consider today that this idea of politics is just one of those things. Politics uh, affects us. It's in our lives. Some of us might take an interest into it more than others, but we also realize that politics um brings in, in our nation right now is bringing a lot of division and politics is becoming more and more pushing people apart and demanding people to 
choose either this side or that side. And that division in our nation can affect the church and it can cause us to lose our joy in Christ. So the question is, then how should Christians treat politics today? And here are some general thoughts. My first thought for this, and we're going to turn to scripture then and discuss this thought, but I I want to establish this principle first, is that the remedy for division is unity in truth. A remedy for division is unity in truth. So we're going to go to scripture and we're going to apply, see how Jesus applied this to his followers, first of all, to his apostles, and then to us. And then we're going to consider how that might apply uh, to everybody at large and how it applies more specifically to us. So first, let's turn to John chapter uh, 17. In John chapter 17, there's a, um, first of all, I guess I, I should just mention, if you read through there, I think you can see that the that Jesus is praying to God and he's praying specifically for the ones that have been given to him that he has given his words to. He is talking about his disciples here. In John chapter 17, verse 6, he says, uh, as he prays to the Father, he says, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave to me out of the world. So Jesus is speaking about his 12 apostles. He's talking about those ones that he has been walking with and teaching for three years, the ones now who are going to carry his words to others. So as Jesus prayed for his disciples, first of all, he prayed that they would be one. Notice in verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one, or even as we are one. Uh, this, this thought here is Jesus wants his disciples to be one. He is realizing he's going to be gone. Jesus is about to go back to the Father. He's about to hang on the cross. Um go into the ground and then be resurrected after three days, but he wasn't going to be with them much longer. So he is about to go. And so he's, he's asking the, the father as they get ready to enter this time when he isn't, he is no longer there to be their, their guide and their help and to, 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 to put his wing over them and, and help them in every way. He is asking God, may they be one. May they be united. So that's why my thought turned to this passage is because it's it's talking about unity, the need for unity. And if there's anything that is lacking in our nation right now, it's it's unity, right? Everybody's divided. Everybody finds a reason to uh, to to see that somebody else disagrees with them in some way. That's just the 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 general age of rage that we live in, be mad at somebody. Well, Jesus was praying for his apostles that they would be one. So now as we continue reading and consider some of the other things that he told them regarding unity, regarding how they could be one, I noticed something in verse number 13. 
Jesus says here, but now I come to you. Jesus again is speaking to his father. Now I come to you and, and these things I speak in the world so that they ha- may have my joy made full in themselves. And again, Jesus is still teaching and talking, I should say, about his apostles. He wants them not only to be one, to be united, but he also wants them to have joy. This is something very important to Jesus, and I thought that was really interesting. It tied in so well with what we talked about last week. That's why Jesus came, is so we can be be released from our our prisons and our from our infirmities and skip about like calves from the stall. We should have joy in our lives. That's what Jesus wants us to have. He wants us to be one and he wants us to have joy. We should be united in joy. All right, now let's continue on with verses 14 through 16. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Now, and you may have heard this phrase before, and here's where it originates, is with Jesus. When he, when we think about followers of Jesus, he was telling his he's referencing his disciples that God he wants God to help make them in the world but not of the world. If you've never heard that phrase before, you need to remember that we are in this world but we are not of the world. This is a concept that comes from Jesus Christ. So when it comes to this idea, you know, the remedy of for division, a remedy for people dividing and Satan getting in and pulling people apart. Part of the remedy is that we need to remember that we are to be in the world. We can't take ourselves out of the world. You could, I guess. That's not a good option, though. God wants you here. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. And so the next point is going to dictate what that actually, how that looks or what determines how we can be in the world, but not of the world. So we are, Jesus is praying for his disciples to be one, to be united, and to have joy in that unity, oneness, and and peace that is there, but also to be in the world, but not of the world. We're different from the world. And so, and then that's what he talks about in verses 17 through 19. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. And that word sanctify, it just means set apart. It's referencing the very concept that he was talking about being in the world, but not of the world. So here we are, we're in the world, but we're different from the world. We're set apart. And how are we set apart? We're set apart in the truth that comes from God. We're set apart in truth. And where does truth come from? Jesus Christ. It comes from the words that he shared with us. They, are, they come from the words of God. Verse 14, it's just all tying together. He says, I have given them your word. Lord, if, if they're going to be one, if they're going to have joy, then they got to remember what I've told them. They've got to be in the truth. They've got to follow 
that truth. So what was going to keep the apostles together, the 12 apostles? Is for them how they were going to be they were going to be united together if they if they realized number one they were called to be one they had the joy that comes from knowing God and if they were to remember that they were in the world but not of the world and that was determined by them following the truth so ultimately unity comes from being devoted to the truth and following the truth which is the word of God and Jesus prayed the same for all believers. John 17, 20 through 21. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us and that the world may believe so that, excuse me, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So notice that that verse that's saying that, you know, as he was talking about, as he was praying about his apostles, he says, I'm not just praying for them, but I'm also praying for those who believe in me through their word. So Jesus said, I gave my word to the apostles, and now it is up to them to take that word and go forth and give it to others. And they're going to also join that unity, that being one, that oneness with us with God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, with the apostles, with when we're united in truth, that is the way that we can get along. That's the remedy. It's it comes down to the truth. Are we going to obey it and follow it? So that's that's the principle. That's the principle that comes from God's word about unity. That's the answer for division is that you be united in truth, that you hear the truth that comes from God and be united. So if you take that principle about just, and, and you just kind of make it a little bit more generic, and you would try to apply that principle that, that people can be united in truth, and you start trying to apply that to secular policy. And that's what, poli- uh, in my mind, when I think politics, because politics is a weird word. What is politics? Well, it's basically, the, the word pol- it comes from the word policy, right? Policy, politics. It's just determining policy. How are how is a government going to run and operate? How are people going to be told what to do? It all comes from policy. That's what politics is: is a discussion of policies and how are we going to do? What are we going to say? What are what's going to become law? What are we going to require of everybody? Well, if you apply the apply the principle of unity and truth, and you try to apply that to secular policies, like the United States of America government, you know, the result is this. And starting with factual information, and that's what we're talking about is truth. You got to start with truth. So if you start with facts, true information, then there, that may prevent some disagreement on policy, but there will still be disagreement. Okay, so Jerry and I were talking about this, and, and I was trying to establish this, this principle of, hey, the only way that people in the nation are going to get along is if we, if we start with the truth, if we talk about truth and facts. Well, and then Jerry and I started, well, we put it to the test. Well, let's, let's start. We started talking politics and, and uh, policies and stuff, and we couldn't come to an agreement. Though we could come with, we could agree on some facts, 
we couldn't agree on what the policy then should be. You take any given problem that our nation is dealing with, and you can you can come from either side, and you can figure out different ways of doing things, starting with just the facts. So really what I've established here is in the church, when it comes to unity in the church, we start with the truth of God's word, and that will hold us together. But you know what? There is no Bible for government policy. There is no there is no Bible for determining which is the right way to do something within a within a government. So there's always going to be disagreements. But when it comes to the church and then how we engage with those policies, there is some very good information that we need to deal with. So I just want to acknowledge first of all the fact that within our government uh, there are always going to be disagreements. Even even if you start with facts and start with information that is true, by the way, as a side note, we are entering an age more and more. It's just going to get worse when you have a hard time figuring out what is true and what are the facts. So just get used to that. It is hard to figure things out, what is truth. So it just makes things more complex. But when you are engaging with policies pertaining to our government, the Christians must remember one thing. First of all, we are going to be united with one another as a church in truth, and that we must then, secondly, keep Christ as our priority. That's what Christians must do right now. You know, so my my answer to all of this, you know, the Christian and politics, what should we do? My answer in regard to the division that's in our nation is that Christians must keep their priority on Jesus Christ. Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon, the zealot, are mentioned as being followers, or excuse me, as being selected as apostles of Jesus Christ. They're mentioned in Matthew chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. There are 12 names listed there. Most of them are just names. But with Matthew, he was mentioned as a tax collector. He was one who helped the Romans get their money. And Simon is mentioned as a zealot. He was mentioned as a zealot because he was one who opposed the Roman interference in the nation of Israel. So one was helping Rome, one was zealously opposed to Rome. Yet, they were united in Christ and united then in his words based upon that John chapter 17 passage. So their priority was right. Did they have discussions about politics? Scripture doesn't say. I have no idea if they talked about politics. They may have. But was it the priority? That I can say with a surety? No. They were following Jesus. They were followers of Christ. They were devoted to him. They wanted to learn his ways. And they were set apart from, they were no longer of the world. They were now in Christ. They were in the world, but not of the world. So the things of the world now take their seat. And I'm not saying that they could no longer, and, and you might make the Christian case for just being absolved from all things political. I think uh, I think there are many wise and good and uh, educated Christians who have decided that. I'm not going to make that case today. 
but I'm going to make the case very much that it was not prioritized over Jesus. Jesus said in that passage, it was read in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, you have that interesting passage where um, where Jesus has been confronted with a question, and it's a political question. Do we support Rome or do we oppose Rome is kind of the question. You know, is it is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? And you know what? It seems like Jesus, did he ever talk about politics? Uh, this is about the closest you can get in scripture. And it seems like he didn't really take a lot of interest in talking about politics. Jesus called them hypocrites, said, show me the coin. Um, and they brought him that uh, denarius in verse 20 says, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Then he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You know, so there are some things that we do. We do have to interact within our government and do the things that it says as long as we're not uh, trying to, uh, we're not told to oppose God. And so, but the thing, the important thing here is that Jesus says you have got to give to God the things that are God's. What belongs to God? What does God require of us? That's the important question. And the next point on the outline is very clear, and it's on the same page opening if you open to Matthew chapter 22. Later in that passage, Jesus was asked, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Verse 37, and he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These are the important things. This is the priority is to love God. For us is to be, the, the priority is for us to be committed to the one who died for us. He gave his very life. He suffered. He took an eternity's worth of punishment that I deserved. He went through hell for that. He, he felt that he was punished with that punishment that I deserved. So Jesus suffered that. He did that for me. And that kind of love demands my love in return. So what are the things that are God's? My life is God's. That is what I'm to give to God. And there are some things along the way I need to give to uh, the governments, whether it be local or national or, or a policeman along the way. or what. It doesn't matter. We give to God, though, the things that are God's. And he demands all of you. All of you, you know, all of us sitting here, we're in our little different places. I can't point to each one of you, but it's, that's what it is. I'm, my, my finger's pointing at you right now if you can't see me. We give our, Jesus demands our lives. Consider Matthew chapter 10. Back up a little bit. Matthew chapter 10 and just verse number 37. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life 
will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Give up your life for Jesus. We owe him our lives. Those are That's what belongs to God. It's, it's your life. Give it to him. You know, and just that thought of he, he who loves father or mother more than me is not is not fit to is not worthy of me. You know, and and anybody who loves politics or is it more than Jesus, that's that's a terrible thing. He who is engaged in politics more than they are engaged in Christ and they claim to be a follower of Jesus. And yet your life is more centered around politics than Jesus. Then there's something severely wrong and you might need to rethink how you think there is repentance that is needed and i just want to you know and there's nothing wrong with loving country and maybe in relationship to our sermon our topic right now we we probably should say you know what i really 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 like my country i like my nation but if if I'm saying I love God, then then my love of country really doesn't fit that standard. I love God so much more; it really makes more sense for me to say, I like my country, and I mean that in the most wonderful way. I really like my country. Uh, we got the we're in the greatest nation I think that's ever been on this earth. So we can like our nation. We can be involved in politics. I believe. But we have to love God. We have to love Jesus Christ. And I would say if you really like your nation, then you really need to consider that the best thing that Christians can do for our nation is to teach someone to follow Jesus. That's the thing that we can do as we engage, as we think about we ourselves being in the world, but not of the world, we want to, the best thing we can do for our nation is to create others who are like us, who follow God and love God. That's what we can do. So my challenge for today is, is to show uh, the love of Christ to all people. We, we need to be the people that, that, that love each other so much, and we are so united that the world can see us and know that Jesus really has made an impact on us and that we are really are followers of Jesus. Jesus is real because they see it in his church. And we need to then show love to others. And that's, that's what we need to do on this earth. We're in this world for a purpose for God. We're to show the love of Christ to the church and to others. Um, And if there's somebody that you're engaging with uh, politically you need to make sure that you engage with them in a loving way. And if you can't do that, you need to disengage and re-engage with Jesus. Don't leave him out of your, your life. And if po- a politics just in general is taking priority over Christ, then I would encourage you to take a break from the news and from social media this week. That would be my encouragement to you to challenge you with that. Because we need to remember that, that Christ's church is to be united in the truth of God's word, and that Christians must keep Christ as their priority. We might even be able to discuss sometimes policies that we think are important with our nation, but we better be discussing Jesus a lot more. We better be talking about him. 
that's who we need to be discussing. We need to be sharing his love with others. So if there's anybody there today who's had um, problems that you have made, uh, uh, whether it be nation or politics or anything pertaining to this, if you have made that your God and you have set Christ in a lower priority than where he should be, you need to repent today and we'll be happy to pray for you. But also if there's anybody in in the audience that that's listening to this and you're thinking about your life and you have put your hope in uh, trying to make our nation into something that you think would make it better. And you've got the answer to all the policies and, and all of, if everybody would just do things my way, the ways that are right. And if it would just happen like that, everything would be good. You know what? You're, you're putting your hope in politics. You're putting your hope in government. You're putting your hope in people. And that's not where the answer lies. The answer is in Jesus. He is the one who needs to be your priority. He's the only one who can save you. He's the only one who, if you just listen to him and let him heal you and cleanse you of your sins, you can go forth and skip about like a calf from its stall. You can have joy and peace in your life. And I encourage you today, if you need Jesus, give him your life. Find us, seek us out, find a believer who can lead you to the truth and tell you what you need to be baptized, what you need to do to be able to be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Do that today. We encourage you as we sing this song together.